0: good morning. We have been doing a series for the last few weeks called Racing in the Storm. And it asks the question that as a driver, as you're racing along, if circumstances change, can you navigate the race still? Can you still keep moving forward? Like we've talked about things like when the rain comes, you got to change your tires or you got to change your attitude, right? We've talked about Maybe you're the ones with your hands on the wheels, but God's determined the course. We talked about how you got to race fair and you can't cheat your way through the race. Well, today we're going to continue that series and we're going to look at the storm that's within you. As a driver, when you're going on and the rain's hitting and all these circumstances are changing around you, what's going on in your mind? What are you doing with all this stress and worry and fear that's going on? Can you handle it? What are you doing with it? Can you still be able to, to complete the race and keep moving on? Now, I'm not talking about nervousness, okay? I'm not talking about, like, right before you take a test, you're a little bit nervous. I'm not talking about, you're, you know, you're in a championship game or the NCAA, you take a tournament, and you're getting ready to shoot the two free throws to win it all, okay? That's, that's not, that's not those, are, those are expected reactions to those to the circumstances, all right? What I'm talking about is those things that ...holds you captive. I'm talking about those, those circumstances that just cause worry and fear over and over. It's simply referred to as anxiety. Right? And anxiety can be a scary word. Like, some people, they just hear the word and immediately causes anxiety. You know? Like, some people are going through so many things in their life right now. They're, they're going through stress with marriages, stress with finances, stress with health issues... And it's just causing problems, and it's, it's all building and building and building. And eventually, something's going to happen, right? And then there's diagnosed anxiety. I was able to pull some statistics from the internet, so let's, uh, let's look at some of these. First, there are over 4 million monthly internet searches worldwide on anxiety-related terms. People looking for help or just an understanding of it. Hundreds of millions of people in the world have been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder or some kind of related mental illness. And it's estimated that close to one billion people suffer with anxiety across the world. So with that large of a gap, that tells me that maybe there's a little bit of shame going on with that, right? Just within the United States, anxiety disorders affect almost 40 million adults every year. That's one in eight people. And if you were to apply that number to this church, you're looking at about 65 to 70 people. Anxiety can be described as the mind and body's reaction to stressful, dangerous, or unfamiliar situations. It's a sense of uneasiness, distress, or dread you feel before a significant event. And that's just basic anxiety, right? That's, that's the same thing that people can experience just anybody in, in, in life on a daily basis. But It becomes a disorder when it becomes irrational or it affects your daily life, the functioning of your daily life. Like I remember when I was like seven, eight years old, something like that, my parents let me watch Jaws way too early, right? And we we went to the public pool and I remember I'm like, I'm looking for Jaws in the pool, right? And I'm not going down on the deep end because he's down there. So I'm going in the, in the shallow end. I'm up in my little two and three foot. And I'm just kind of swimming. Look at all the people down in the, the deep. And I'm like, y'all crazy. Jaws going to get you. Get out of there. Like these thoughts are okay for a seven-year-old, right? But if you're 40, it's probably not a good thing. And that's the irrational stuff that we're talking about today. Anxiety disorders can be broken down into several different categories. But here's just the, uh, some of the most common ones. First, you've got specific phobias. Right, these are persistent or excessive fear of a specific object or situation. I'm scared of spiders. You're scared, Fear of flying. Fear of heights. Right. A few weeks ago, you heard me briefly mention submarines. I have a fear of submarines. Is it not bizarre? I don't. I don't. Submarines. Like, what's a submarine gonna do to me? I don't know. But like, I grew up loving movies like uh, The Hunt for Red October. Or U-571, uh, Crimson Tide, like all these movies, just, it's submarine movies, and they were great. But somewhere in my mid-20s, I, I don't even know why, but I became fearful of submarines. And it's it's not like I just run and hide and I, all this, but I'm just really uncomfortable when I see one, or if it's on I have to look away. I'm like, mm, you know, it's it, it's odd. I don't, I don't know. I can't explain it. Like we were in uh, Hawaii, I don't know, 13 years ago, something like that, and. We were walking around Pearl Harbor and like I'd been on all the battleships and everything's great just loving my time down there and we go around this line of trees and there's a big submarine docked right it's right there 100 yards from me and I was just like Whoo, I'm out I'm out <laughs> so Angie's laughing at me it's like come on that ain't fair but like especially here's the thing that gets me worse is when the submarine's like trying to climb and get get Above, above water real quick and then they actually breach water and it's just like pfft. like even thinking about it right now I'm like <laughs> <laughs> you know it makes me anxious It's, it's uh, odd, I don't know irrational, right alright, then there's generalized anxiety disorder and it's that constant worry or fear about everyday things that affect your daily life it's experiencing feelings of dread or distress for no real reason it's constantly expecting the worst and worrying about things like money, health, work, even when there's no real reason to be concerned. It's perceiving the world to be more dangerous than it actually is. Then we got post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, PTSD. We all heard of this, and we usually, at least I do, usually think of soldiers. But it's really just a response that develops from a tragic event, such as like a major car accident or a death or abuse of some type. And then there's social anxiety disorder. And it's the most common anxiety disorder, and it's affecting over 19 million people in the United United States. It's characterized by a strong and persistent fear of social or performance situations in which humiliation or embarrassment may occur. Again, this isn't your normal just scared of taking a test or to, to speak in front of somebody real quick, okay? This is crippling fear. This is that subconscious worry all the time. Now, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. I did not stay in the Holiday Inn Express last night, but I just wanted to give you just a brief idea of what anxiety is and what some people can be dealing with right now. And If you're sitting there thinking, I don't have anxiety, don't check out on me, okay? Somebody you know may be going through this, and this will kind of give you an idea of how to interact in that, in that area. So what I want to do is take a look at What the Bible says about anxiety. Like, I feel that the Bible still speaks to us today. And we should always go there first when we're looking for answers. I'm not saying don't visit doctors or mental health professionals or therapists. If you need that, absolutely go to that. If it helps, absolutely. But I'm just saying that the Bible still speaks. And we just got to be willing to listen to it. So the story we're going to look at today is uh, in Mark chapter 14. And just to set it up real quick, the, uh, Jesus and the disciples had just had the Last Supper, right? And he's explaining to them everything that's getting ready to come up. That, you know, he's going to be taken prisoner, he's going to be tortured, you know, all, and he's, the crucifixion, all that, he's just explained it to them. And so they leave the Last Supper, and they go up to Mount Olive. And here's where we'll take uh, our scripture in verse 32. It says, "'They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, "'Sit here while I go and pray.' He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told him, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering from me. Yet I want your will to be done. So then he returned and found the disciples asleep. You say to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watching, pray, so that you're not given to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the spirit we've already felt today, God. We love you. We thank you. God, I, I speak against fear. I speak against anxiety. I speak against worry. God, I ask that you open hearts today. Speak to them. Speak to your people, God. Allow them to receive what you have to say. God, we love you. Make it for my humanity. And amen. As I mentioned earlier, shame is involved with anxiety, right? You can feel like nobody understands you or nobody gets it or nobody, like like you don't even want to be around people. So you kind of hide. You kind of take a back step. It can be embarrassing sometimes. But we see in the scriptures that even Jesus in his human form experienced stress and anxiety. He says, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. And in Luke's account, it's described like this. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering from me. Yet your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of the spirit that sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Some scholars believe that Jesus didn't actually sweat blood. They think that he just had so much sweat coming off of him that it just resembled blood pouring. Others actually believe that he did sweat blood. Well, today we know there's a condition called hematidrosis. And what this is, is the capillaries around the, um, around the sweat glands, they burst. And then they'll fill the sweat glands. So then when you perspire, it comes out tinted with blood because it's mixed in, right? Either way, we know that Jesus went through stress. Whether it was just a lot of sweat or it was actual blood coming out. We know he went through stress. We know that he was worried. We know that he was about to die for our sins, and he knew that he was going to be captured. He knew taken prisoner. And he knew that he was going to suffer this horrible death. Right? So it's okay to be worried. It's okay to have anxiety. We get it. Also, we see in scripture that Jesus went to the garden with his disciples, right? But then he went further into the garden with Peter, James, and John. Just three closest friends. Jesus loved them. And he loved, or they loved him, right? So, he wanted them with him. He wanted to be surrounded by his closest friends. He wanted to be surrounded by love. So, when you're having all this anxiety and stuff, it's not a time to seclude yourself and kind of, kind of withdraw from the world. We need to surround ourselves with people who love us. We need to talk, we need, to, we need people in our lives, and we don't need to announce to the world everything that's going on in like Facebook. Oh, look at that. That's not what I'm talking about. But surround your people with you know that's going to have your best interest. Surround your people that are come alongside you say, I'm just really going through some things. Can you be there with me? You need that encouragement spoken into your life. If you've been involved in any kind of small group this year, um, you know that we've been doing a study on community. We're built for community, right? We're built for relationship. We're built for relationship this way, and we're built for relationship this way we're not designed to be alone we're not designed to have to go through this stuff by yourself but here's where the responsibility falls two ways as a church as a community we need to be reaching out and paying attention to what's going on around us we may come along someone that we know that's dealing with this and you don't know what to say to them or you just wonder what, what is it that I can do to make it better and sometimes just being there makes it better. You don't have to say anything. We look at Jesus. He, again, he surrounded himself with his three people. But it, at no point did it say that he was sitting there and pouring his life out to him, telling him what was going on. Jesus was praying to God. But he was surrounded by his three people, and that was enough to make, make him feel better. Like, I remember um, Brady when he was younger. Like, we would ask him to take out uh, the trash. And and he would, and it would always be around dark, you know, like dusk or really dark. And as soon as we say, hey, Brady, we take out trash, and he'd go over to the window, look outside, see it's dark. You could just see the wheels turning in his head. Every time he'd he'd turn around and look, say, you watch me out the window? He's like, yeah, buddy, we'll watch you. Just, Just knowing that we would look out the window, that we were there, we were present, was enough for him to carry on, right? And the second part of this is that if you are the person struggling with anxiety, if you're the person that's going through this worry and, and all this stuff, you need to speak up. And speak out to those who love you. Allow people in your life. Allow people to help you. Don't carry it alone. Don't let it get to that point. All right? Because the longer this goes, you start lying to yourself in fear. Builds and builds and builds and it can be dangerous, right? The longer you deal with this anxiety It can lead to physical problems Depression thoughts of suicide We can't let it go that far, right? So as this builds, what do we do? Again, I talked about embarrassment. We put this mask on We're always smiling Look look world look friends. I'm happy. Everything's good when on inside, it's not okay. We're really struggling. We, we wear this mask so tight sometimes that even those closest to you can't see behind and see the pain and the fear and all the worry that you're dealing with. In the book of Philippians, Paul writes to his church at Philippi. And he's, he's thanking them for all the contributions that they've sent to him for his ministry, but he's also encouraging them. The church at this time is going through all kinds of persecution. Paul himself is in prison when he writes this letter. He's going through his own suffering, but he's sending encouragement to his church. We'll pick up a reading in uh, Philippians 4, chapter 6, or 4, verse 6. It says, Do not be anxious about anything. Cool. That's it. The Bible says it. We're good. See y'all next week. We're good. It's not that easy, right? Like, I picture like a toddler or something who's, he's having a bad day and he's just crying and crying and crying and you're like hey stop crying And he's just like oh, oh cool Think that like does that work no all right but I love that it says it that way just don't be anxious don't be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. These two verses are some of the most popular verses that anybody uses when there's anxiety-related topic, right? And they're good verses, but what I don't understand is why verse 8 is never included, because I absolutely think it should be there. Listen to this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right... Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What happens when you're anxious? What happens? You're stuck in your mind, right? You tell yourself things like, I'm not good enough. They don't love me. It's too much. The pressure's too much. I'm a failure, right? You say these things over and over. And it's like we wear these ear protection things and where we can't hear our people around us speaking love to us. It's blocking it all out. And all we want to do is just trap those lies in our life. Trap them in our head to where we can't hear anything else. Even, if, even think about the devil. If he knows that this is a weakness for you, is, is he not going to just push and push and push this to come into your life? And you say things more and more and more and make you feel worse? Again, it builds to a point that something happens. And we can't let it get that far. Toby Mac has a song. It's called Speak Life. Listen to these lyrics. I'm not going to (laughs) sing. Some days, life feels perfect. Other days, it just ain't working. The good, the bad, the right, the wrong, and everything in between. It's crazy, amazing. We can turn our heart through the words that we say. Mountains crumble with every syllable. Hope can live or die. So speak life to the deadest, darkest night. Speak life when the sun won't shine and you don't know why. Look into the eyes of the brokenhearted. Watch them come alive when you speak hope, when you speak love, and when you speak life. I occasionally will see these things on Facebook or on the Internet, and it's, it's usually like some uplifting message, and you'll see the little hashtag, speak life. On a, on, I, I'm assuming that's coming from Toby Mac. We got to understand that, like, thoughts and words are powerful. So we can't be believing these lies. We got to speak life. In verse 8, when it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What's praiseworthy? If we are dwelling on all these negative thoughts in our head, we're giving them praise. If we're constantly dwelling on all the negative in here, we're giving them power. We're giving it authority in our lives. That's not from God. So what do we have to do? We've got to push those negative thoughts out. We've got to replace them with good. We've got to replace them with all the things that was talked about in verse 8. All the things that are excellent, lovely, admirable, pure, all these different things. we got to learn to speak life to ourselves. we got to learn to speak life to others. Like, think about the worship team. I mean, they're fantastic. On a weekly basis, they are fantastic. And we get in our cars, and we leave, and we talk to our spouse, like, hey, we hey, what at good worship today. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. We love it. Why do we take advantage sometimes of not telling them? Let's speak life into them. Let them. Because, listen, we don't know what they're going through. And we know they're fantastic. But maybe there's a little bit of doubt. And when we can speak life into them, it can raise confidence. It can, it can cause them to want to carry on. Maybe if they're thinking about, ah. And not just that. The people that make your coffee in the mornings... The people that cut your donuts, thank them for what they do. The people that work in children's ministry and pour into your children on every morning and allow you the opportunity to come and focus on God yourself, thank them. It's not just here at church. The cashier in line, the person you're pumping gas to, we we can't know what people are going through, right? Because anxiety is so hidden. So tell me this. Can you go to Chick Fil A and not leave a better person? <laughs> like the words that they use, like "How may I help you?" "How may I serve you?" I think it is, or "My pleasure." You don't know, you don't hear that in daily life, right? And people don't talk like that. So you go to Chick Fil A and you look, and you're jumping in the drive-through, and it's three. It's wrapped around the building three different ways. You're like, ugh so long because it's always like that it just is everybody wants the cookies they're fantastic (laughs) so you get there and you're frustrated in line and you finally get through and you get to talk to somebody and they're just so nice right and you get your food and you say you tell them thank you my pleasure like you can't leave chick-fil-a in a bad mood everything just feels better when you leave and it's crazy (laughs) like that right if that doesn't happen to you i need to check your pulse So Let me share with you just for a second here. I personally have a little bit of social anxiety. I know what you're thinking, dude, don't look now. You're on stage in front of a few hundred people talking. Yeah, I know. My anxiety comes from what people think of me. My anxiety comes from me not valuing or believe there's any value in the things that I have to say, either here on a stage or even in friendships right? Like, I have a hard time talking to people. I'm okay one-on-one, but in a group, I kind of back off because it's like, eh, why don't they want to hear what I have to say? Why does she care what I'm thinking, right? So I just kind of back out of the group where I'll just sit there and be quiet and listen to everybody else talk. I'll come in on Sunday mornings and think, okay, cool. I'm ready. We're going to meet people. We're going to make connections. It's going to be awesome. Make some relationships. And sometimes I'm successful. Other times I come in and it's like, yeah, I'll just wait till the first song starts. And then as soon as service is over, I'll just put my head down and we'll we'll be out. It's like I'm I'm this driver, and all these other drivers, and we're at the starting line, I'm just looking and I'm white knuckling this steering wheel, wondering, what in the world am I doing here? Sometimes I win these battles and sometimes I don't. But like even preparing messages. Like, it can be a long, lengthy process for me. Some people can do it in a, in a week. It's not me. Because I have this thought that I have to be perfect. And I look at the other speakers that we have here at church, and I'm like, i got to live up to that. They're so good, right? So I've got to be perfect. And like at home or at work, I can get irritable. I can be absent. Because I'm constantly in my head. saying, you got to be perfect. you got to be perfect. How can I make this sermon perfect? difficult the worst part of all this I know it's irrational I know I don't have to be perfect I know that people don't look at me and be like I don't have anything to do with him but yet these are thoughts that I fight with all the time it's the whole saying that you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take well not acting for fear of failure is still failure For some of you, you've been dealing with anxiety for just a little bit and you're kind of wondering what in the world do I do with this? For some of you, it's been going on a long time and you've been asking the same questions over and over. Where do I find peace? Why does this still happen to me? I wish there were some kind of steps or a formula or something that would just take this anxiety away and make me feel better. Well, there is. We read this earlier. Again, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So it's a math formula. Prayer plus petition plus thanksgiving equals peace. Well, prayer and petition, is that not the same thing? Prayer speaking to God on a regular basis. The petition is asking God to step in and do something in your life, to remove something, just to intervene in His authoritative way. The thanksgiving is recalling what God's done good for you and telling it back to Him and blessing Him with, man, thank you, God, because you were here, you showed up here. I see what you're doing here. It's fantastic, God, thank you. That's the thanksgiving. And is it not just flowing into what verse 8 says? It's to fill your mind with all the good stuff. All the things that are praiseworthy. That's what you praise. And when you do these things what happens? God's peace. You get God's peace to protect you. Sometimes I wonder maybe we have the wrong idea about what God's peace is. Maybe we are always praying, God, remove this anxiety. God, remove these circumstances that are just causing me anxiety all the time. But maybe we got that wrong. Earlier in Luke, when we were reading about Jesus and he was, he was just going through some things, right? And he was all stressed, and he was he was sweating blood, and he was crying out to God, saying, Please, God, take this stress away from me. Remember all that? Look what happens verse 42. says, Father, if you're willing to take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then, in verse 43, then an angel of the Lord came and he strengthened him. And Jesus was able to carry on. He was able to pray more fervently. He was able to complete his mission. He was able to finish the race that he had here on earth. Listen, God's God If he wants to remove anxiety from your life, then absolutely let him and rejoice in that. But if he removes that anxiety, what happens the next time when another circumstance comes up and now we're dealing with anxiety all over again? Maybe, just maybe, we're thinking about it wrong. Maybe, just maybe, we've got the wrong idea about what God's peace is. Maybe God's peace is there to strengthen you. Maybe God's peace will allow you to confidently and boldly say that God's for me. He's not against me. And He works all things together for my good. Maybe, just maybe, God's peace, it will protect you. It protects your mind and your heart from all these situations. And at the end of the day, it's not to remove the anxiety. God's peace is to make you strong enough that you can walk through it. Come to her feet. Anxiety can have the same emotional and physical response as being held at gunpoint. The same chemicals, the same adrenaline—all that stuff happens, and it causes all that chemical imbalance in your in, in your body. And you're just like, right? It triggers that fight or flight response. And I feel like we miss opportunities when we give in to that fear. All we're doing is strengthening that fear in our lives. We have to fight it. We have to believe that God's for us and we've got to get these thoughts out of our head. He wants us to have life and have it more abundantly. He loves us, He cares for us. We're going to go into ministry time here and, and sing one last song. If at any point you want to come forward, prayer team's here to pray for you. In 1 Peter, it tells us to cast your anxiety on God because He cares for you. Cast means to to sin, to throw. It doesn't mean, here God, take a little bit of this, but I'm gonna hang on to it too. To cast means this mask that we're wearing to, to protect ourselves and to hide our anxiety we cast that on God. These hearing protection and stuff that you wear protect your ears and block out all the truth and love that people are trying to tell you just so you can keep hearing that anxiety in your head and those negative thoughts that's what you cast on God. And these that you wear this prison of no control that you make for yourself for your anxiety that's what you cast on God. Come and pray.